This episode is brought to you by Gato Negro Wines. Find them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Gato Negro Wine. Check them out on Instagram at username Gato Negro Wine. Sip the terror of your favorite TV series with Gato Negro Wines. Gato Negro, adored everywhere. is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 313, recorded Thursday, March 16th. 2017. It sure is. We are here to do our feedback, of course, for the most recent episode of The Walking Dead, which is Season 7, Episode 13, actually. And uh, can I tell you a secret, Jason? Oh, please. Can you whisper it to me? Whisper yeah. it nice and quiet. Yeah, I'll whisper it so no one else can hear. Okay. When we did our Monday show, I mm-hmm. totally said the, the episode number wrong. I said Episode 12. But luckily... I noticed while I was tightening up the show before I released it, and I was able to re-record myself saying episode 13, so nice. no one was the wiser. Oh, that's a good secret. Don't tell anybody. No, I won't. Okay, good. <laughs> so uh, I felt good about that, and I'm kind of surprised I even noticed my error at all. But Me too, I did. Actually. So anyways, here we are to do our feedback. Before we get into that, though, we are going to add a couple of items to the record your favorite scene prize box and they're they're exciting items i think the prize pile the prize box yeah pile whatever (laughs) i think we've debated ad nauseum if it's a pile a box a sack or anything else a vault yeah it no it's in the vault but yeah then then there's a a prize bowl it could be right anyhow the first thing we're going to add is a something you know near and dear to your life of course jason you being a giant lego fan Mm -hmm. uh we're going to add a lego minifig but a particular one yep zombie pirate lego minifig the zombie pirate i actually like that minifig it's from the monsters uh collectible minifigure series what number's on there 13 uh col 14-02 14, yes. Uh, so series 14 okay. was uh, was all monsters, and so there was a zombie pirate. So uh, let's throw that in there. That's cool. So zombie pirate, which is, is neat if you're into Lego, that is cool. Even if you're not, it's a, a neat little figure. Uh, we may, I don't know, there may be more of these coming. I'm not ready to say for sure yet, but you never know. Yep. And then something that's even more exciting and kind of related directly to an episode of The Walking Dead from a couple of weeks ago when Rick and Michonne were in the uh, the, the gym. gym. Gymnasium. Yeah. And they were eating what on the show, what were they called on the show? Um, <sighs> our RTEs, ready to eat. Ready to eat, yeah. So right. they're, I don't know why they changed it to RTE or whether there's another... Uh, you know, RTE refers to something different than an MRE, which is a meal ready to eat. 
Well, what we have are called MREs, and uh, we are going to include one in the box so you can have the same experience that Rick and Michonne did while they were eating these like long-term storage meals. So, Jason, you have it in front of you there. Tell everyone what, what it is we're going to throw in. Well, I'm going to reach into the prize, uh, the prize bag here, and uh, I'm going to throw in a, uh, a chili with beans. <laughs> uh, MRE. So this is uh, this MRE uh, complete package uh, has uh, the uh, the main meal, which is the chili with beans. There's a side dish in there, a treat, probably some peanut butter or jam. There's coffee. There's uh, uh, there's sugar. There's creamer. There's a spoon. You get your own spoon uh, with this particular MRE. So we're gonna throw that in for the uh, into the prize bag. So everything you need basically to have a meal. Absolutely. Very exciting. So uh, there you go. An MRE, chili with beans, and uh, whatever else comes comes with it. So you can experience it for yourself and see what it would be like to live in the zombie apocalypse and have to eat this kind of thing if you came across it. Yeah. I think it's... I've tried this particular menu. It's not bad. <laughs> it doesn't even have to be the zombie apocalypse for Jason to eat these things, so... It's just when his wife goes away for a night, he's, he's, he eats like three of them. <laughs> I'm actually really good. Uh, I'm a really good cook myself. Yeah. So, so I don't have to, you know, my wife doesn't have to be here to prepare my meals or I starve to death. No, I know that, but I'm not, I'm not so sure she's eating these things. Only you are. No, she doesn't uh, have any interest in trying these. <laughs> no. Well, I'm going to try one someday. But anyways, we're going to throw chili with beans, M-R-E, meal ready to eat into the prize box and the zombie pirate lego minifig in addition to everything else that's all in there uh, i really should make a comprehensive list because it's getting long it's getting to be a pretty good prize box mm -hmm. if you want to have a chance of winning this fabulous prize record a scene from any episode of the walking dead send it in to us by email talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com and at the end of the season we will pick our favorites and send all this good stuff out to you all right that's that let's move on into the feedback Listener feedback. All right, we've got uh, a bunch of calls to start with here. So the first one comes from George in the mit Mitten. I'm not sure what that means. I, I really couldn't tell you. George in the Mitten. Mitten. All right, here's George. What's up, Jason and Chris? Love the podcast even more than I love watching the actual show. Love listening to you guys. Keep it up. And now... Morgan and Carol are back. The same episode. This is uh, pretty exciting coming down to the last three here with them on both on track. And man, this was one of the best Walking Dead out of the whole series. One of the best episodes, I, in my opinion, I think I saw seeing batshit crazy Morgan. Well, that was so sweet. And on to another point, making help me out. You guys mentioned about, you know, the, them not taking melons because they're bruised. And then you mentioned you brought me back with the pig thing. And they never, are they ever going to cover that again? And I haven't heard of any of the saviors getting sick or something. They're just going to blow that over like they do a lot of stuff. I don't know what you guys think about that. Because you guys did uh, uh, brought that back to my memory. 
So, I don't know. Just want to know what you guys think. All right. Keep doing what you do. Three more to go. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much, George. Is it just me or does George sound kind of like Ray Romano? Yeah, a little bit, now that you mention it. A little bit? Yeah. A little, little bit. I, I heard a little bit of Ray Romano in there. Uh, anyways, let's address George's last point there about those sort of infected pigs that they sent over to the saviors. We saw them do that and then nothing like didn't seem to be any fallout. Do you think that's just something that they're never going to address again? And that's, I don't know, just something that they were doing to try and poison them or something. Like, why aren't we going to see that on the show ever again? Or are well, we? Okay, well, there's two reasons, or two things we need to look at. One is uh, the in-story reason we haven't seen them again, and then there's the show reason, uh, you know, the our real-world reason why we won't see them again. In-story, what they did was they uh, they got all the uh, the pigs and fed them zombies and then uh, dressed them and then gave them to the uh, to the saviors. Uh, I don't think it would have poisoned them or made them sick at all. I think it was just a fuck you to to the saviors. Uh, you know, knowing that uh, we had, they had given them uh, pigs that were feeding on uh, on the living dead. It's like uh, pissing in someone's soup. You know, there's, it depends on how much piss there is in the soup, but you know, if it's diluted enough, it's fine. Uh, it's like, uh, I have a story. If you want to hear a story. I don't uh, know if I do, if it involves <laughs> pee and soup. No, it involves sauerkraut. There was a <laughs> friend of mine that I worked with. Uh, he was doing some manufacturing consulting and he was on a factory, uh, in a factory where they were making sauerkraut. And there was these guys in hip waders or large boots in this uh, big vat of like cabbage. And they were stirring the uh, the cabbage in the sauerkraut. And the guy asked, uh, you know, the, the guy I worked with asked, what do they have to do when they go to the bathroom? And the guy said, well, they just go because a certain, you know, low level of uh, urine in the sauerkraut is acceptable by the uh, the Food and Drug Administration. Uh, so as long as it doesn't, you know, the urine, the content of the urine doesn't go above a th- certain threshold, you're fine. Mm. So it's, uh, you know, if you put a little bit of pee in someone's soup and give it to them, it's not going to make them sick. It's just, or you spit in their food, right? It's not going to make them sick necessarily unless you're sick. It's just a, it's a, just a big giant fuck you to whoever you're giving that food to. So I think that's what they were doing with the pigs. Right. Right. Um, so yeah. the pigs, I think, and since uh, every time they give a tribute to the saviors, it's something different, right? They're giving them different food items. So they're on some kind of rotation. So I think uh, possibly the pig rotation will come around again, but I'm not entirely sure that it will because where's the story in, you know, getting getting around back around to the pigs? Just keep giving, giving something different to make something uh, a little fresher. Sure. Or maybe it's just, you know, feeding the pigs meat from the living dead uh, is just an easy way to fatten them up so the pigs are bigger when they give them to the saviors and therefore uh, just you know it, it looks better on the on the uh, kingdom could be uh, pigs will eat anything pretty much I guess so yeah I think so pigs will eat anything I don't know anything about pigs so maybe well there was a serial killer out in the west of Canada that I think was feeding human bodies to his pigs. Oh, yeah, he had a pig farm. That's right. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure they'll they'll eat almost anything. Uh, so yeah, you're, I don't think the show will really come back to it. I don't know if maybe there was any motive to the feeding, the to the um, kingdom people feeding those pigs other than maybe just to make them fatter. 
and maybe they're maybe they use zombie mulch in the uh, the king's garden there, where they uh, you know grow the melons and the whatever tribute they're get, giving to the saviors. Maybe they fertilize it with uh, zombie guts, right? Sounds we equally gross, but maybe it works really well. We don't eat from that garden because it's fertilized with zombies, right? And that's the food we give to the saviors, right? Maybe that's why they got weevils because weevils really like zombies. Could be. I don't know. It's all coming together, man. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> there you go. All right. Next, we have a call from Nads in Singapore. Hi, Chris and Jason. This is Nads from Singapore. I just wanted to send in my feedback that I loved Nabila from the scene. It was so great to see a Muslim represented in The Walking Dead. And she was treated just like any other survivor. Like there was no fanfare. No big deal. She just came in. She did her line. She did her scene and she went off. And I thought that was great. I just wanted to say that. Bye. Bye. Thank you for calling in, Nads in Singapore. And not really a lot to say there other than just I I agree. Great to have a diverse cast of characters on the show. And there you go. Absolutely. I agree too. And thanks, Nads, for uh, for calling in. Uh, It's been a long time since I've heard that accent and it just brings me back and I just so much enjoy it. You've spent some time in Singapore, haven't you? I did. I've, I've, I have spent some, well, not a lot of time, but, you know, a few weeks here and six weeks there and that kind of stuff. It was, uh, it was a great time, but, uh, they, yeah, I missed that accent. I never realized I missed how much I missed it till just right now. You did two or three trips to Singapore? Three. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot of time over there. Yeah. No, it was fun. I had a great time. Cool. Beautiful city. I'm Wonderful. sure it is. I have never been to that part of the world, but someday, someday I would like to, tr- uh, take a trip. Uh, all right, here comes a call from Lisa in Queensland, Australia. Hey guys, uh, this is Lisa from Queensland, Australia. Um, I totally love um, your podcast. It's, it's, it's the best of them all as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, with this episode, I am so glad that finally uh, Lenny James gets to really um perform and we get to see him as a and a a really accomplished actor i think that his acting talents had been wasted um really since um he appeared at alexandra alexandria in in um uh, season six um so it's just wonderful to see him act um his his guts out and to see his um, evolution and uh, it just gives me hope that, because um, I was worried that he would be killed off, but it gives me hope that he is going to go forward as a significant character um, in this um, this inevitable war. And, uh, yeah, it was just brilliant, as it was brilliant to see um, Carol, character Carol, uh, you know, kind of step up and, we know that, you know, she's back to badass Carol and uh, I can't wait for what's ahead. I'm, I've, I've, I've loved, I didn't like the first, I was bored with the first half of the season, but um, I really think they've, um, they've paced the second half of the season really, really well. And, uh, yeah, um, I, I can't wait for what's ahead. Okay, guys, keep up the great work. Bye. Thank you, Lisa. So let's talk about about Morgan for a second, or Lenny James. Yep. They have 
they have done something kind of interesting with with him over the course of seven years. I mean, he was in season one briefly and mm-hmm. then gone for seasons of time yep. and then teased him back into the show until he finally became a main cast member in season six. It took six years to get Morgan into the show portrayed by Lenny James on a regular basis. Yep. I think that was kind of kind of genius, actually. Do you think that is why Morgan is always listed at, you know, at the top of people's favorite characters list? Because because we they kind of left us wanting more for so long. Well, I don't know. Carol's on the top of my list, and she's been around since the beginning. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I know. There are other characters too that would that would be up the, up on that list. But had Morgan been around since the beginning, do you think he'd be as high? Do you think he'd be as loved by as many people as he is now? That's maybe well, not yeah, a fair question. I, it, I think he would be because it's Lenny James. I mean, how could he not? I I like everything he's ever done. And even, I've even liked him in shit that is crap. Like, uh, what was the name of that show that he was in? Uh, it was another AMC Jericho. show. Oh. It was Jericho. There was a show called Jericho, which even had one of the Simon and Simon brothers uh, in it. And the show was garbage and it got canceled after two seasons, but uh, he was in it. And I liked, I watched the whole run of the show just, simply because of Lenny James. And I, you know, it was, it, this was my introduction to Lenny James was this show. I didn't really know who he was beforehand. And afterwards I learned he was a Brit and I was like, holy crap, I didn't even know he was a Brit. Uh, so I, I love Lenny James. I think he could, uh, if he was on the show from the beginning, I still think he would be a, uh, a favorite. I think, uh, Morgan is a favorite, partly because of Lenny James and partly because of Morgan, because this is what happened with Morgan in the comics as well, right? He was in the beginning of the comics and then he disappeared for a long time and then he showed up again later and uh, became a regular in the comics. Yeah, that's true. I was thinking of the show Low Winter Sun, the other AMC show, that I don't think was very good. I, I never saw that. Right. You don't think it's very good and Lenny James is in that? Well, Lenny James is in that and I watched... A couple of episodes of it, but it didn't grab me, and uh, it got canceled after the first season. So, right, uh, yeah, I don't think it was very good. But boy, he's been in a few other things actually, in between. Uh, well, not too much actually. He's in another show called Gone, which I've actually never heard of, and I forgot he was in Hung. I loved Hung, <laughs> the two or oh, three yeah. years that Hung was on the air. So, yeah. um, he was he was good in that too. So, anyways, Lenny James. Good dude, and it is always fun to see him in the episodes about Morgan. Yep. All right. Okay, next we have a call from Rosalinda. Rosalinda? Yes, I think sure, so. In, in Oregon. Oregon? <laughs> she uh, She's going to say her name anyways. Here we go. Okay, perfect. Hey, guys, this is Rosalinda from Oregon, and I'm calling to talk about the episode Bury Me Here from The Walking Dead I loved how unpredictable Morgan was in this episode. You just did not know what he was going to do and you did not expect what he did. And it kind of seems to me like he is falling off the wagon and he's trying to take Carol with him. I noticed something um, back in episode Say Yes at the end, Daryl says he's leaving and he says he's going to Hilltop. He tells Morgan this. I actually went back and rewatched this because I wasn't sure. But then... When Morgan was telling Carol about what happened at Alexandria, 
He's all like, you want to go to Alexandria? Let's go to Alexandria. I'm ready to go to Alexandria right now. It's like he wants to get Carol there and get moving. He's just itching to do something. And he didn't tell her the truth. He didn't tell her that Daryl was going to the hilltop. Maybe he forgot, but that doesn't seem to be the way that these shows work. So I was just wondering if you guys noticed that um, Morgan straight up lied to Carol about where Daryl went. And I was wondering what you thought about that. Thanks, guys. Love the podcast. Bye. Cool. Thanks, Rosalinda. So this is an interesting point. And I didn't pick up on this when I first watched the episode, but she's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Daryl does say explicitly, I'm going to the hilltop because the theory is he wouldn't be safe at Alexandria because that's where the saviors would be looking for him. Yep. So he goes to the hilltop where he can still probably not be that safe, but at least hide out maybe. And then Carol comes into Morgan and Morgan's like, you should talk to Daryl about your problems. Let's go to Alexandria. So is okay so is this deliberate is this morgan deliberately misleading carol is it a show inconsistency that we need to uh just try to ignore or what's going on here is is this in show or out of show do you think that's a tough call uh my gut feeling is that it's a continuity error but i don't have any reason I'm not sure. I, you know, I didn't really pick up on that. I think they would have made it a little more obvious if it had been, uh, you know, a deliberate uh, misleading statement to Carol. Yeah, well, I'm I'm with you. My gut feeling is it's a continuity error. However, it comes in back-to-back episodes. And I'm, I'm sure they don't always write these things in the order that they air. And, you know, they have the whole story outline and they... They include bits and pieces here and there and stuff like that. But back-to-back episodes, it's or virtually, is it back-to-back? Yeah, I think so. And this seems a little suspect to be yeah. a continuity error, but I'm with you. It kind of just feels like it might be. Why would he lie, though? Yeah, I can't think of a reason, unless he specifically wants to get Carol back to Alexandria to chat with Rick. And his motives are not to get her in the same room as Daryl. It'd be really messed up if they go to Alexandria and Daryl's there. (laughs) That would be really weird. (laughs) Because, yeah, I mean, that's that's more than just a continuity error, I think. Yeah, that would be a, uh, all of a sudden, we all have cell phones now. We've been chatting. (laughs) Uh, We've been texting each other constantly on Facebook. And we now I know where everybody is, and I know that he's going to Alexandria, so we should meet him there. Yeah, that would not go over so well. Uh, or maybe Morgan is just confused. Maybe he forgot. Maybe he's already starting to revert back to clear crazy Morgan a little bit, and he's yeah. just, he's mixed up, you know? Maybe he's confused. Yeah, I think that's a little, it's a little too convoluted for it to be... Uh, Morgan misleading her. So I think it's a continuity error, but I guess the proof is in the pudding and we'll find out in the next couple of weeks. Or we won't. I don't know. We'll see. Anyways, thank you for pointing that out, Rosalinda. It's, that's one of those things that, uh, you know, sometimes it's easy to miss, but sometimes sneak into the show. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Nia in London sent an email and Nia writes, 
I just wanted to drop in to say I absolutely loved this episode. It wasn't filler, it wasn't fan service, it wasn't an entire episode dedicated to trying to get the audience on board with a romantic pairing that doesn't actually work. It felt so natural, the acting was incredible, the writing was fantastic, I just loved it. I feel heartbroken for Morgan because he lost something this episode. When Shit for Brains McDouchebro took his staff back in episode 10, I figured that the staff's fate would be an indication of Morgan's own fate. One of my predictions was that Douchebro would break it, thus in some way foreshadowing or signaling Morgan's own mental break. Or maybe that Morgan would retrieve it valiantly, symbolizing his fight to hold on to the identity he attained with Eastman. Uh, I didn't predict that it would be Morgan doing the staff redesign himself. Seeing him sharpening it, turning it back into the spear that Eastman had originally fashioned into his Aikido staff was symbolically, uh, so symbolically last season, as he sat there with paranoia emanating from him, was heartbreaking. Yeah, he fashioned his own staff back into a spear, so he's now the uh, pointy end of the stick. He is the point, and you do not want to mess with the pointy end of the stick. Yeah. Basically what it comes down to. Um, <laughs> but I think, uh, I think Nia's whole thing here of, uh, of just, you know, this, the staff and Morgan being linked, you know, strongly linked. And if the staff got broken, that was sort of a symbol that Morgan was going to be broken and vice versa. However, the change took place, you know, because of something else. And, but the staff goes with him when Morgan becomes the pointy end of the stick or when Morgan becomes, you know, back into crazy Morgan, that's what happens to the stick. It becomes a more, even more dangerous weapon than it was. Well, it depends. I mean, it depends on whose hands it's in, right? You give me a stick, you give me a spear, uh, both are going to be useless because I don't know how to use a stick. But don't you you think a pointy, don't you think a spear would be a little easier to hurt someone with? Well, I guess it depends. If I'm, you know, fighting a uh, mindless zombie, maybe, maybe. If I had a bunch of pointy sticks like Morgan did in Clear, that'd be all right. But yeah, it, uh, you know, I think in Morgan's hands, uh, I don't think it makes it more deadly just because of his skill with the staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, uh, I think it just, it's symbolic, uh, of his change from uh, not wanting to kill to killing. Even though he was plenty capable of killing with the, the non-pointy staff. Yeah. but Maybe it, it's just a symbol of his craziness. Maybe it's just because in clear, he had a whole bunch of sticks and they were all sharp, right? And he caught zombies on these bunch of sharp sticks. Right. So it's uh, maybe it's not a, a representation of how deadly he is. It's just a representation of how crazy he is. Still symbolic. Definitely, but slightly different. Yeah, but good. I I, I just like the how the fact that it, again, it's one of those situations where a character has their thing, their physical object that is that goes along with them, and you can't separate the two. And Morgan's got his staff, which now has been modified to reflect his personality. Yeah, he's no, sharper. It makes me wonder what my thing is. I gotta have a thing. Shouldn't I have a thing that represents my personality? Uh, what would that be? Well, maybe by the end of the podcast, we'll have figured it out. All right. We'll see how it goes. We'll think about it. All right. Next, we have an email from Sean in Richmond, Virginia. 
I was just wondering if you guys noticed the that the last shot of the show where Morgan was sharpening his stick. It appears he hears something because he stops and looks back for a second. Given the fact that Morgan openly openly mentioned Carol's place in front of the saviors, it is possible someone followed him back to their place after Benjamin was shot. I am sure they heard Morgan say that they had supplies there. So of course, uh, wouldn't they want to know about this newly stocked place where they are, that they are unaware of? Uh, and if this is the case, what's the chance it's not a, it's not the prick that shot Benjamin and we get to see Morgan unload on his ass? What do you guys think? Right. So to clarify, I went back and checked the episode where, uh, or the the scene where Ben was shot and Morgan does in fact sort of yell out, we have to get him to Carol's place. And there are, there are supplies there. He does this before the saviors have gotten in their trucks and left. Yes. So in theory, they could have heard him say that and then thought to themselves, Hey, wait a minute. We don't know this Carol. We need supplies and potentially followed him back. So if it were, I don't think there's anybody in the house sort of spying on Morgan, but he definitely did look back at the camera. And if you buy into Sean's theory here, it does hold water because the saviors in that scene would have heard him say, we have to go here for the supplies to help save this kid. Right. And therefore follow someone followed him back or they sent somebody there and, it is what it is, but I doubt it. Uh, but that's just me. It is certainly possible. And I think it's an interesting theory. I don't, yeah, I agree with you that they did hear it and it is possible that someone followed them back and they probably should have if, uh, if they were good, uh, if they were good Negan and they needed to understand exactly what uh, people had and where they should have sent a contingent to go follow them and find out what was going on, what these supplies are, what this Carol's place is, who is this, the Carol, uh, and figure all that kind of stuff out. So right. there was, uh, that's what the savior should have done. And when, uh, McDouchebag was sent packing because he killed that kid, what, uh, our, uh, our intrepid heroes should have followed McDouchebag and killed him because he was all by himself. Once you're separated from the herd, that's when you get uh, taken down, in my opinion. Yeah, it's one less guy they have to kill later, right? Might as well do it now while he's by himself. Yeah, so, I mean, each of these, uh, each of these groups uh, had uh, a moment of vulnerability, and I, but I don't think each of, our, each of those groups followed up on the other's moment of vul- vulnerability. No, probably not. I think the, the point of that scene at the end when Morgan turns is really just to show that he is, he is on full alert. He's on high alert, right? Every Absolutely. little creak and sound catches his attention and no one's going to sneak up on him by surprise. Right. You know, I've done, uh, uh, you know, tabletop role-playing games in the past. Uh, <laughs> one game I played was, uh, was Champions. It's basically, uh, you roll up a character and you uh, make a superhero. Uh, living in the same kind of world as a DC or a Marvel superhero. And uh, one of the powers you can buy with points is 360 degree vision. As you know, as a human being, our vision, uh, you can't see all the way around us at any given time. You have to turn your head and uh, find that. Your vision is directional, but it's uh, it's based on what way your head is pointing at any given time. So you can buy a power of 360 degree vision, which means you can't be surprised. You can see all the way around you all the time. So I had a character that bought 360 degree vision and the explanation for it was he was paranoid and he was always looking around. 
Like, that's it. He's just <laughs> right. so paranoid about everything. He was always, always, always looking all the way around, just spinning his head like, keep your head on a swivel. So I think that's what's going on with Morgan is that he's acquiring his 360 degree vision power by swiveling his head all over the place. Man, he's going to be unstoppable soon. That's right. With a pointy stick and 360 degree vision and the, the skills he learned from Eastman. Yep. And maybe he'll even someday uh, upgrade his weapon to a board with a nail in it. <laughs> oh my gosh, man. <laughs> <laughs> that would be something. All right. Thanks, Sean. Next is Georgia in Melbourne, Australia. Georgia writes, there was so much in this episode that worked so well for me. Can we talk about Morgan's clear sequence that literally messed me up? I was so scared for him thinking about how far he had come and that he was so easily going to slip back into that craziness. And when I read this, I thought it's like it's like gaining and losing weight. It's so hard to lose weight, but it's so easy to put it back on. Oh, yeah. Just, you know, cheeseburgers. That's right. It's just so delicious. I know. And you don't have to eat very many of them before you're, you know, you're fat again. And then yeah. to get rid of those cheeseburgers that are lining your belly or your ass, it takes hours of exercising. Yeah. 60, 70 cheeseburgers a week. And boy, you put the pounds back on. Holy crap. Do you ever. So Morgan, it's, you know, he, he worked so hard to become the, the good, peaceful, not killing Morgan, but then boy. One just kills one dude and he's right back into, uh, right back into killing. Well, that's the thing. It's like, it's like smoking or, or drinking when you are able to finally quit. You can't have a single sip or you cannot, I cannot have a single drag. I'm not capable of having a single drag without slot backsliding into being a full-time smoker. So maybe that he's addicted to killing, uh, you know, whatever zombies, people, whatever comes within like 50 feet of him. Uh, so he kills one guy and all of a sudden his addiction just kind of comes crashing down and uh, he's back to crazy town trying to clear out whatever, uh, well, whatever comes within range of his pointy stick, really. I need to probably apply that kind of thinking to cheeseburgers, cheeseburgers? or eating yeah. in general. Because cheese. Oh my God. Yeah. Maybe. You can't give up cheese, my friend. You're a cheese fiend. You like cheese. It's one of, it's pretty much one of my favorite foods. I can't. I, I, but the problem is I, I sort of have that attitude towards a lot of food I like and I'm not the fattest guy in the world, but I could drop a couple pounds. Yeah. But the problem with food is it's really hard to give up an addiction to a substance that you absolutely need to survive. It's not just metaphorical. If you, in order to give up entirely the addiction, you have to die. Right. But the problem, you can give up particular foods and, you know, cheeseburgers might be one of those things. Yeah, but it's like giving up smoking, but only, you know, giving up Demorier and, uh, you know, not giving up, you can't give up players because if you stop smoking altogether, you'll die. So I only have to give up, you know, smoking Demorier extra lights. And, uh, you know, I have to, I can keep smoking my, my Export A or what have you, trying to remember all the cigarette brands. <laughs> Export A, isn't that a... That's Molson, a cigarette Molson, brand. Molson Export was a beer. Molson it Export is a, beer. Is, a, is a beer. There's Export A, there's Rothman's, there's, oh, okay. Jesus, this is bringing me back. Because no. now they have in Canada, you're not allowed to display the cigarettes, so they're all behind, like, closed doors at a convenience store now. Right. So you don't, you can't see them anymore. So I'm trying to remember all my different... Uh, Cigarette brands. Anyway, what were we talking about? 
smoking, uh, how lovely smoking is and how awesome it is and how much I miss it. Is I that feel, what we're talking about? I feel like that's come up like a few times in the last <laughs> few weeks, Jason. So we should probably stop doing that because I think you're thinking about smoking too much. Yeah, so go back to eating cheeseburgers three times a day and you'll be fine. Okay. No problem. <laughs> okay. Let's move on. Where are we? Uh, next is you with Donnie. Donnie? Oh, my mouse is... Okay, Donnie in Suffolk, Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> my, I have a, I'm having an issue with my scroll wheel on my, uh, my mouse. Anyway, uh, Donnie writes, While I enjoyed this week's episode, Bury Me Here, I was a little taken aback with the turn of events. My issue is with Morgan and that he killed Richard. Richard got the boy killed with his foolhearted plan. I get it. But why kill one of the strongest fighters against the saviors uh, to, uh, to prove a point? Now you have two less people to fight the saviors. Thanks a fucking lot, Morgan. <laughs> oh, and that's some real loyalty by Ezekiel and the rest of the kingdom folks. Richard, Richard has been with them for quite some time, and they have only known Morgan for what? A few weeks or a month tops? And they sit back and watch him choke the fucking life out of their comrade and do nothing. They didn't even know why Morgan was choking him out until after he was dead. Uh, give me a fucking break. They could have written this storyline so much better. Yeah, and I'm going to continue right now with Barbara in Lancaster, California. Along those lines says, I can't believe I'm the only one who was shocked that our kingdom friends stood and watched Morgan brutally beat a family member to death without uttering a word or moving an inch. Really, guys? I thought people were loyal to each other when they live in, in the same group. It's not like Negan was there threatening death or dismemberment to anyone who protested with a bunch of armed enforcers. I guess we know which group doesn't care if they lose a family member. So somebody said, let him do it or let him go or don't touch him or something. Somebody in that group when that was happening said, the, said something along the lines of let this happen. And like, I'm trying to remember who said it. Said it out loud, you mean? Said it out loud. Somebody said, let them do it. I'm trying to remember if it was the saviors saying, you stand back there and let this happen, or whether it was one of the uh, kingdom people who said that. But somebody said something, and this reminded me that uh, somebody mentioned uh, that they shouldn't get involved, essentially. And I'm trying to remember who that was. I don't remember that, so my point is completely moot. But I think that if it was the saviors that said it, then that's why uh, the kingdom people didn't get involved because they're trained not to get involved when the saviors say don't get involved. Right. My, I, I think you are right. If that word or that line was uttered in the episode. <clears throat> um, but I also think, you know, the kingdom people know that as soon as one of them moves in to help or, or starts getting involved, then everyone's going to get involved. You know, it's like, uh, it's like, it's like a hockey game. If, if two guys are, are getting a little rough and then a third guy comes in, it's going to draw another guy from the other team. And then before you know it, everybody's going to be involved. And, and the goalies are fighting and the benches are cleared, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, that's not as common as it used to be, but yes, <laughs> that's, that's the idea. Before you know it, everybody's on the ice throwing punches. Uh, in this case, the consequences of that happening are so much greater because everyone's holding guns, you know, hockey players are not holding guns at that point. They're not even holding sticks anymore. So they don't really have weapons other than their fists. And it's pretty hard to kill a dude with your fists, uh, unless you try really hard. Um, but 
in this case, everyone's holding guns. So if someone, if Ezekiel runs over to try to pull Morgan off, then somebody from the Saviors is going to do the same. And then before you know it, everybody's piled on and everyone's getting shot. So I think that in a way, cooler heads prevailed here. Right. And, and they just let these two guys fight it out, which wasn't a very fair fight, of course. But uh, that was that. And I mean, I guess, yeah, the... Um, the kingdom people didn't really know what was going on. Maybe they were just shocked into inaction, right? They couldn't sort of process the fact that Morgan had attacked and was killing their own guy. And by the time they figured out what was happening, it was all over. So so it's like Russia and the United States in the 80s, right? Both uh, nuclear superpowers. You know, if there was some kind of fight going on in the world and they were like, well, we should get involved. It's like, no, well, we can't get involved because as soon as one of us gets involved, the other one's going to get involved and the nukes start flying and we're all fucked. So they kind of have to hang back and go, uh, you know, we have to, we have to, you know, keep our heads cool so that we don't nuke the whole friggin' place, kill everybody. It's the concept of mutually assured destruction. Exactly. If, as soon as somebody else runs in, both groups are, are dead. Both groups are done. And both groups standing there realized, I mean, partly I think both were shocked to see what was happening and didn't know how to respond to it, but they were also just, uh, like, um, we can't do this. We got to let this happen or we're all dead. Right. All right. So next we have an email from designer Will in Brooklyn. Uh, Will writes, I think Bury Me Here was the strongest episode in the back half of season seven. The little things add up. The acting, the writing, and the direction seemed on point. Morgan slipping back into clear mode was well done. The character's decision uh, in this episode made sense as well. I also enjoyed seeing Gavin's humanity when he told Jared to start walking back after learning that Benjamin had died. Uh, The garden metaphor uh, in which uh, Nabila uh, says that they... uh, that they can all but destroy the plants and they'll still grow back seem to be on point and foreshadowing of the communities coming back after Negan's destruction. Yeah, that's exactly what I took away from that. You know, it was a little on point or possibly on the nose with the way she, you know, delivered that particular anecdote. Yeah. Uh, but it, it certainly applied and you can tear things down pretty far, but humanity seems to have a way of coming back. Yeah. You know, we are resilient fuckers on this planet. Tenacious little bastards. Exactly. Uh, Next up is Brad on the Gold Coast of Australia. And Brad writes, I wanted to weigh in on Morgan's transformation this episode. Chris mentioned that it happened too quickly. I disagree. I think that the mentally disturbed clear Morgan was never healed but has been covered over and suppressed by the Life is Sacred Morgan. Clear Morgan was primarily caused by the death of his son, Dwayne. Even though he's been able to successfully suppress it up until now, when Benjamin died, it was like Dwayne dying all over again, and the insanity that has been bubbling away below the surface all this time has finally erupted in an explosion of crazy. Morgan has been a ticking time-crazy bomb for a long time now, and the bomb has gone off. Yeah, he's uh, he's on the road to crazy town, that's well, for sure. he's pretty much there, but Brad's comparison to Dwayne is perfect. And in fact, it's even in the episode, right? He uses the name Dwayne when he means Benjamin. Morgan yeah. does right after killing Richard. So it was just that little bit that 
got to Morgan and pushed him back over the edge, right? That reverted him back to the way he was for a while. And I think Brad's right. He was able to suppress that for a long time, but then he found this younger guy. Maybe he wasn't as young as his son, Dwayne, of course, but it was a younger person that he, he identified with and befriended and had was training and felt a connection to suddenly he was gone. So it brought back all those feelings of Dwayne dying and, I mean, that'd be enough to push anyone over the edge, you think? Absolutely, yeah. So do you I think, uh, hold do you think Rick him. accidentally calls uh, Michonne Laurie every now and again? Uh, sure, <laughs> why not? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, it could happen. It could. I, you know, you're with someone for a long time. You know, you're going to, yeah. you're not going to forget them that quickly. Yeah, awkward. A little bit. A little bit. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that, uh, yeah, Morgan's in... He's fully in crazy mode, and I think this that definitely was the uh, the catalyst that uh, caused him to uh, jump on the road to crazy crazy down. I think it was just portrayed in the episode. It felt to me a little bit fast when put in these terms that Brad does. The actual idea of it maybe isn't that fast, and 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 it probably would happen that quickly, right? If he was that sort of teetering on the edge, anyways, this is what pushed him over. And it's all going to come back to him really quickly. And that's how it'll happen. I would think so. All right. Next, we have an email from Sean on the internet. I am genuinely going to be sorry to see Gavin killed off. He's demonstrating, demonstrated no love for the cruel people he works with and genuinely doesn't want to do bad shit to people. His moment of remorse over Benjamin's death was unexpected from uh, a, a savior, as was the wrist slap for blonde redneck Jesus. He does do bad shit to people, and that's going to cost him in the long run, but I am glad that they're giving the savior some depth and character. They're not all sadists, sociopaths, and mid-level sales managers. Yes. Uh, <laughs> mid-level sales managers. Yes, because that fits right in there with sadists and sociopaths. Yeah. In Canada, in Canada, do we say sadists? It's sadists. Sadists? Did I say sadist? Twice. Oh, that's because uh, I was in a band once that uh, had a song called The Happy Sadist. And we it was genuinely changed to sadist from sadist just for artistic purposes. And it's stuck in my head ever since I was in, I was what, 18, 19 when we, I was in that band. So that, uh, that's why I said it that so, way. It's just me. It's not Canada. Okay. And you never know. Sometimes people some often write in and say, boy, do you guys ever sound Canadian? And I think it's things like that, that, uh, make that happen. So I'm going to blame wow. you. <laughs> I haven't not, thought of that song in a long time. Uh, could you still play it if you had to? Well, it was, uh, no, me, I'm the drummer. I don't play anything. I'm not a, you know, I just hang out with musicians. <laughs> Sometimes deliver their pizza. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, anyways, yeah, Gavin. So Gavin is the most deep and uh, well-rounded Savior's character on the show. Yes, he's bad. He does bad things, but he clearly has remorse about doing it. He doesn't seem to want to do bad things. And there's a struggle. There's an internal struggle in that guy that you can see. I don't see any internal struggle in Negan. I don't see any internal struggle in really many of the other ones, except maybe Fat Joey, but he's dead now. And Gavin, and I, you don't see any struggle in uh, the long-haired guy, Jared. You yeah. know, Gavin is the most conflicted of the Savior's characters, and I find that interesting. And I wonder if that's going to mean he's... 
he's going to be involved in more stuff. Like I'm just thinking if, uh, if Dwight has a, has a, has a plan that he's trying to hatch, does Gavin get involved in that? Yeah, I, you know, I agree that he is probably the most well-rounded and not necessarily as single-minded as the other saviors, but I don't think it's going to play a big part going forward. I think it's just a kind of a nice thing that we can see. Yeah, but that's, that is a nice thing. Like it's good to have characters, even minor characters that have some depth to them, right? It's better for the show in general. Now, I guess you could argue easily that Dwight is probably the most well-developed Savior's character, but that's partly because it's the only, we've seen him more than virtually any of the rest. In a way, I think we've seen him more than Negan even. Uh, you know, so, so Dwight, you know, maybe the exception, but for a minor character, I think they've done a really good job making Gavin fully fleshed out. And they should, I agree. They should try to do that with more, more of these characters. Although I can imagine. No, 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 no. Just just leave it with Gavin. Just one. It might be, it might be uh, too hard to do that with everybody. But anyways, uh, speaking of uh, the long haired guy, Jerry or Gary, I apologize. I don't know. And Corby UK writes, holy shit, that long haired savior has to die. He's got to be the most hated man on the planet. Period. Yeah, pretty close. Uh, you know, he's probably not hated as hated as Joffrey from Game of Thrones. Like that guy was hated so much that the actor had to give up acting. That's kind of sad in a way, but <laughs> but is. I can see it. It's also kind of funny, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know. <laughs> uh, yes, Joffrey was pretty much hated. Uh, the other dude on Game of Thrones, the most hated villain, when we talked about this earlier last season or in the first half of the season. Um, come on, what's his name? Oh my God. Uh, Jon Snow? No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Everyone knows who I'm talking about. Um, but uh, in terms of Walking Dead, I find it interesting that uh, McDouchebro, as he was yeah. called earlier in this episode, is yeah. one of the most hated guys on the show, and he's barely been in it. I hate him more than I hate Negan. That's the funny part. Oh yeah, when you're we're supposed to we're supposed to hate this guy so much that he just has to fucking die. Yeah, right. Uh, yes, Jared. Right, Jared's his name. Yeah, and that's why they needed to hunt him down when he was all by himself. Just as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh yeah, son of a bitch, going to be by himself, not going to have his friends there. Without his friends, he's just a stupid loser with that stupid haircut, and uh, we should string him up by his hair and then beat him with sticks like a pinata. <laughs> no offense to anyone that has hair like him. <laughs> no, I'm just talking about that guy's stupid hair. Not right. you know, you know, having really, really long hair is cool, especially if you know it's short in the front and really long in the back. You know, yeah, like that's... really long in the back. I'm talking like fucking Kim Mitchell long, <laughs> like just really long. I had long hair for a long time, so yeah, I saw a picture like uh, of you with long hair. It was crazy. Nothing bad about long hair. Oh, I had long hair too. I had a big beard and long hair. I, I looked just like Jesus. I bet you did. I can picture it. All what, right. What's going on now? Are we talking about, uh, you know, feedback and stuff now? Yeah, keep keep it going, man. All right. Michael in London writes, the saviors were excellent as they have been in the last few episodes. Total tossers uh, who you just can't help but hate. Every uh, Even the moment when they seem to argue with each other over killing Benjamin and then snapping back to being complete knobs was excellent. And I thought for a split second that we may get an apology for killing the young lad, but they never did. 
and I despise them even more. Yeah, so good, easy, you know, it's nice to hate. It's nice to hate the saviors. They're tossers, knobs, and everything else. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, All right, George in Byron Bay, Australia writes, Although I did thoroughly enjoy this episode, it has brought my attention to something that is starting to pop up far too often in the world of The Walking Dead. Double deaths. Every significant death this season has been accompanied by another in the same episode. Abe and Glenn, Spencer and Olivia, and now Ben and Richard. This isn't necessarily a huge flaw. I just find it interesting that it has happened so much. I'm scared now, as Sasha and Rosita are heading to assassinate Negan, that we may have another double death in the finale. It does seem to be heading that way indeed. Uh, maybe it'll be uh, Negan and Lucille. That's the double death in the end of this uh, this season. Yeah, I suppose it could be, but it does seem to line up with the pattern. Uh, and I don't know why they would be doing the double episode deaths. We go a bunch with nobody dying, and then all of a sudden we get two in one, two for ones. And he's right. We've got Sasha and Rosita going to assassinate Negan. That feels a little too obvious, like, they wouldn't set that up for us and then just kill them both off. But I wouldn't be surprised if at least two people die in the finale, two significant characters. Yeah, it's not going to be Sasha and Rosita. That's too much of a buddy cop movie for me. Uh, I, I think that they're going to be just fine. They're going to be kind of bitchy and kind of on each other's nerves and stuff. And one of them is about to retire and the other one's just crazy. But uh, you know, I just think it's going to be a buddy cop movie rather than uh, you know these two people going off to... Uh, on a suicide mission. Lethal Weapon 4 starring Sasha and Rosita. <laughs> That's right, man. <laughs> uh, I don't know, but I, I I would be not surprised if one of those two characters didn't survive the rest of the season. Uh, and the, the Walking Dead used to have a tendency to kill people off remember in the second last episode of the season Shane died in in the second last of that season and I think it happened a couple other times as well they've gone back to more the season finale slash season premiere kind of deal for killing people lately but they seem to be going for two for ones as well and if we get a twofer then I think it'll be either Sasha or Rosita plus somebody else and I just hope it's not Eugene Oh God, I want Eugene to not ever die and then have his own spinoff show when this show ends. Yeah. That's what I want. I agree with that. Uh, But it could be Eugene. I just think for sure it'll be either Sasha or Rosita. And if I had to guess, I would say Sasha. Yeah. So. I I don't think either of them are going to die, frankly. No? I think they're setting it up, but I I really don't think that either of them are going to die. Okay. I mean, Rosita's hell bent for leather, right? She's on a she's on a mission now, which you know marks her for death, really. But I don't think I think it's too obvious, and I, I just I don't think it's gonna I just don't think it's gonna happen. Well, and I agree with that, and that's kind of why I think it's going to be Sasha, and not only because she's in this other TV show coming up has a main oh, role, yeah, right? In it, right. Damn it! It's so real that, world intruding on my TV. I know, I know, I know. It's the problem, but I do think it's going to be Sasha, and somebody else. Not okay. Eugene. Eugene, I want to solve crimes and play Yars Revenge in this spinoff. I don't want it to be Eugene. I don't want it to be Maggie. I don't know. Gregory? That'd be all right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he maybe. Bar- barely Gregory's got to go somehow. Barely counts as a main character, though. But we can't have him killed by Negan and the Saviors. Gregory's got to be killed by Jesus. 
That'd be awesome. Or yeah. Father Gabe. <laughs> Father, oh, he could be him too. Anyways. Yeah. We'll see. All right. Uh, next, we have an email from Kyle in Edmonton. Is the big war between the Saviors and the other groups going to go down this season? I'm sure it'll be an epic show, but it doesn't seem like uh, Negan has been around long enough to kill him off yet. Just wondering your thoughts. Well, we have to consider what happened at the end of season six to try to get an idea of what might happen at the end of season seven. As we all recall, there was a giant cliffhanger at the end of season six. Everybody hated it and thought it undermined the show and the storytelling and all these sorts of things. And there was a giant backlash to it. And at one point, Kirkman came out and said, you know, we're going to tell the story we're going to tell, but we also can't 100% discount fan reaction. So he said something along the lines of, would we do another cliffhanger like that? Maybe not. So I don't think we're going to get the same kind of giant, ridiculous cliffhanger at season seven that we did in season six. Does that mean that these, this big war, this big fight between the saviors and everybody else is going to happen this, this season? I kind of think it is, or it's going to start, and maybe we won't see the complete fallout from it until the beginning of season eight. I think we're going to get a whole other season of uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan on The Walking Dead before we see the end of The Saviors. So, yeah. Okay, so no attack on The Saviors this season at all is what you're saying. Uh, they might do a thing where, you know, they set up the attack and then the first half of the next season is all that playing out and then it'll end in a cliffhanger in the mid-season finale and finally get resolved in the second half of season eight and then uh, they'll move on from there. All right. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what's what the show is going to do. I, I of course, know what plays out in the comics. And I'm right. dancing around, not talking about that because that would not be fair. Um, and I guess I got to leave it at that for now. And the only other uh, example I could give, uh, I have to spoil another show, which uh, I'm not allowed to do. <laughs> What's the show? Is it Battlestar Galactica? No, it's How I Met Your Mother. I'm pretty sure. Well, everyone, Jason's about to spoil How I Met Your Mother. I'm not really going to spoil the whole thing. I'm just going to talk about the structure of the show in the first bunch of seasons and the structure of the show in the last season. Okay. Well, if you're, if that's going to offend you, then jump ahead, but fair warning. So you know how in that show, it basically, uh, the first, se- I don't forget how many seasons there are. There, it, let's say there are eight seasons. The first seven seasons are just normal How I Met Your Mother seasons. The last season all takes place in a single day. That's right. At so a that's what location. I think is going to happen with the first half of the next season of The Walking Dead, is that we're going to get the setup, and then the first eight episodes of season eight are going to happen on the same day. It's Jeez. just going to play out that friggin' battle. That. They could, you think they could do eight episodes of an attack on the Savior's compound? Yeah, if they can do like, how many episodes are in How I Met Your Mother? It's got to be like 20. It was network television. It was a lot, yes, it was. So there's 20 episodes that all happen on a single day. Yes, I absolutely think that they could do that. 
I don't know, man. I feel like that's easier to do in a half-hour comedy sitcom than it is in an hour-long dram- dramatic. Know, Twenty-four TV show. all took place in a single day. That's the whole premise of the goddamn show. Twenty-four. Sorry if I'm spoiling twenty-four, but it <laughs> all happens in real time. Uh, one hour of television happens in one hour of uh, plot. Jesus. So okay. So no time is going to pass, but we're going to watch eight episodes of TV. Yes. Wow. Okay. Well, I, I, I think that'd know. be cool. I think that would be all right. I'm warming up to the idea. Um, I don't personally think that's how it's going to go down. I think I think some things are going to be resolved in the season seven finale. That's all I can say about that. I think some things are going to be resolved and it's not going to play out the way. If you're not a comic reader, I don't think it's going to play out the way you expect. Right. So Lucille is going to break in half and then a spirit will come spinning out of it, much like the Ark at the end of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Damn it, now I've spoiled that movie. Sorry. And uh, kill everybody who uh, has their eyes open. <laughs> sure, man. Is that the thing? Is that what you're talking about? That's I assume a, that's what you're talking that's about. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Right. Way okay. to go. All right. Uh, let's move on. I feel like I've already said too much and I'm hoping no one's offended. Anyhow, um, the next bunch of, of feedback we have aren't directly related to this episode. There's a little bit of general stuff and some things that are, uh, about a specific previous episode, but all of it seemed interesting to me. So I wanted to include it. This one from Patty on the internet is about the previous episode. Patty writes on last week's feedback show, you guys and callers debate debated the fiki fiki make bambino i don't know what that means versus kissing in regards to how the show portrays the closeness between rick and michonne if you go back and revisit the scene after they fell through the roof when they're sitting atop the gym pads just before rick acknowledges the food and mre stash or rte as it were he gives michonne a very swift double tap on the back of her left calf although it was subtle that to me was more convincing of their bond. So that Fiki Fiki make Bambino is sex. Well, I, I... It's a sweet, sweet loving. I do understand that. I've just never heard that way of referring to it before. Well, me neither, but, I, you know... Well, I get context. it. Yeah, yeah, I get it. <laughs> um, but I think Patty makes a good point here. You know, we complained or we discussed, along with one of, uh, one of our holy craps, I think, that there was no... Um, passion between the two or there's a difference between passion and and kissing and kissing can portray more passion than just sweet sweet lovemaking yep um but patty is saying that even little things like you know a tap on the leg can indicate the uh the deepness of their relationship right and that can be communicated in little things like that and not just big passionate moments that's true Right. And that's a good point. And I didn't really pick up on that scene, but there's probably other things that are dropped in there as well that are able to communicate those sort of relationship cues that, that, you know, that are easy to miss sometimes, I think. Yeah. And drop more of them in there. The more the merrier. I think so, because I'm still not a hundred percent convinced that their relationship is anything but weird friends doing it. <laughs> um, even though it's slowly getting better and maybe it's, maybe it's subconscious. Maybe these little things go in my brain and it's helping me accept it a little bit without even knowing. Right. All right. So on a, on a similar topic, Holly on the internet writes, I'm compelled to write to you because of a fundamental disagreement. 
I'm shocked you don't think Rick and Michonne have chemistry because it's sizzling to me. From the feedback, it sounds like a lot of your listeners agree with you, but I personally don't get it. From their first kiss to last episode's hand squeeze between them uh, before Rick goes off and gets zombied, I completely buy it and think the actors did a tremendous job and have excellent chemistry. I fully buy the relationship and I'm more invested than any in, uh, more invested than any other couple in The Walking Dead. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it's another little thing, the hand squeeze before Rick runs off. It's the little things, I guess, Jason, that you and I are just uh, too dumb to pick up on. Yeah, just dumbasses. Pretty maybe, much. Maybe it's just, maybe it's us. It could be us, yeah. I'm pretty sure we're not the only people that don't think they work very well together, but... I don't know. Are we influencing our listeners and uh, having them agree with us? You know, could it be us disseminating this information and uh, building a uh, a collective mindset that uh, just isn't appropriate? <laughs> well, if we have that kind of power, you really want to go to our Patreon page. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's maybe it's one of those things where uh, you don't notice it until you point it out, like uh, uh, Shane's earlobes. You know, yeah, it's just, you know, it's, you know, you don't really notice it until you do notice it and then you can't unsee it. You can't unnotice it. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it, as long, I feel like as long as both these characters are alive on the show, which I, that feeling is going to be a long time, they will be in a relationship. So it's either going to get better or worse. And I hope it gets better. They're going to break up and it's going to be awkward. I don't know if this is the kind of show where they're going to have a couple that breaks up and they focus on the awkwardness of it. And then Father Gabriel is going to date Rick for a while and that's just going to get weird. <laughs> and then, you know, then he'll, you know, date Michonne afterwards. And it's just, it's, uh, I think we can have a lot of potential for a lot of awkward uh, relationship stuff added into The Walking Dead to make this show slowly morse more from a zombie-related horror drama into a Bachelor-type situation where the people are getting voted out of Alexandria, uh, you know, by, giving rose, by not giving a rose at the end of every episode. Well, Jason, I can firmly tell you that I do not want to podcast about that show <laughs> if it becomes that, so let's hope it does not. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, thank you, Holly, for that. Is it my turn? Yes. All right. So in the vein of sort of general feedback, Mindy on the internet writes, uh, I'm writing because I'm just curious if you've ever received any other listener feedback about the number of, the t the number of times the line, I get it, or some variation like you get it or we get it, etc., occurs on The Walking Dead, or if this is something you guys have noticed at all. I feel like every week this line is spoken by someone on the show, so much so that my husband and I laugh every time we hear it because it happens so much. Huh. I never noticed. No, I can't say I've ever noticed either, but as you just mentioned, like Shane's earlobes, maybe now we're going to start. Well, I'll definitely listen for it. We'll see. We'll see on Sunday. We'll start then, and if we hear I get it like three or four times an episode... It's probably going to drive me crazy, uh, so I kind of <laughs> hope it's not true. <laughs> Maybe they'll never say it again. Maybe all the, the writers uh, were sitting in a room going, Jesus, guys, what the hell? How many times you got to write that? Stop writing that. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like you and I probably have phrases that come out of our mouths over and over and over again, mm -hmm. as do a lot of people. Everyone has patterns to their speech, right? 
Yeah. If I, if I had a nickel for every time I say sweet, sweet love making at work in meetings, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't have any nickels because I don't think I've ever said that in a meeting at work. <laughs> well, uh, I'm sure there's something. But I use it at home mouth. all the time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Yeah. It's context, man. It's context. Yeah, you it's know when it's appropriate and when it's not. All right, next up. All right, next we have Matthew in Huntington, England. Just a quick note to offer my theory on why Jadis and the rest of the scavengers talk so oddly. This is actually taken from an interview Pollyanna McIntosh gave and alluded to the fact that in developing her character, Jadis, Jadis's reason for talking so strangely is purely down to energy, why waste the energy using non-essential words when what you need to say can ex- be expressed in less words? Okay, number one, Matthew, send us the link to that because I wouldn't mind reading that interview. But number two, that sounds like BS. Well, I think the idea is probably double plus good, but uh, I think that if you can express a an idea using less words, then fine. But I think the way that Jadis expresses information using the words she chooses to use is confusing as hell. And the only reason people understand what she's trying to say, I honestly believe that the only reason they understand what she's trying to say is because it's in the script and they know what's going to happen next. Some of those phrases are just mind-bogglingly confusing to me. So as a viewer, you don't always know what she's trying to say. Yeah, like that time I, uh, I think it was last week or whenever I quoted, I wrote down a bunch of a uh, bunch of the, the dialogue from the from the episode. And it's just like what? The only reason I knew what she said was because of the reaction of everybody else. They understood her, uh, and the only reason I think they understood her is because it was written in the script. Yeah, you could argue that that's that's decent writing though. If if you're if one character is so bizarre like that, but you're still able to understand what's going on based on the reactions of those her, around her, I think that's kind of an interesting idea. Um, but the, like, does when Matthew says energy, or I guess when Pollyanna McIntosh said, save conserving energy with non-essential words. I mean, are they actually talking about physical energy, like moving your mouth too much is going to like use up too much energy because you're malnourished and there's not enough food and you need to like not flap your lips as much as you would speaking normally? I'm not sure. I think it might be psychic energy, just, uh, you know, emotional energy. It's just, uh, you know, why use 10 words when I can use three badly structured words and get the point across? Right. Yeah. I once, uh, I was, uh, I used to be in a clown band and the guitar player that I was in the band with, Mr. Pete, uh, he was an excellent guy and a fan fucking tastic guitar player. Like he was really good. And he used to be an English teacher. And he basically said to me that the secret to grammar is that there is no, not, no such thing as bad grammar as long as you get your point across. Really. Because grammar is just this uh, structure of agreed upon crap that uh, people just happen to agree upon. There's no rules for grammar. It's just agreed upon, uh, you know, kind of, we'll kind of do it this way and try it out for a while. And yeah, then it changes over time. Come on. That's like saying there are no wrong answers in English. And if that's the case, how come I didn't get an A plus every year? That, no, it's the same thing as traffic laws. Traffic laws are there. Just so that we don't kill each other on a regular basis. We're going to try not to kill each other, and we're going to agree to these rules. In the zombie apocalypse, there's no traffic laws. 
right? The, the laws are artificial. They don't have any structure in reality. They're just this agreed upon set of structures that don't necessarily have to be enforced. But you can argue that they're extremely important, right? Traffic laws are extremely important or it would just not work. The whole system wouldn't work. And grammar, you could say the same thing about that. Pretty important to communicate in a consistent way. Yeah, but as long as you get your point across, it's fine. You don't have to adhere to it because grammar changes all the time and people take liberties with it left, right, and center. But you have to be able to get your point across. And I don't believe Jadis is getting her point across in the words that she chooses. So fair enough. She's not getting her point across because you can't argue that as long as you get from point A to point B, the rules of the road are not important. Like, yeah, I drove from here to... I don't know, your house, and I hit 14 cars and killed six people because I drove on the sidewalk, that's not going to fly. No, it's not going to fly. That's because we have, you know, uh, a structure of enforcement for those rules. Sure. We don't necessarily have the structure of enforcement for grammar. We just have a, a, it's social enforcement where you say a bunch of stuff to people and they look at you like, what the fuck are you talking about? Well, that might be enough social enforcement. You don't want to, you don't want to be an outcast because you talk like Jadis. I so guess Jadis better, doesn't care. Yeah. It's better to be silent and be thought to be an idiot than open your mouth and have it be assured. Exactly. I think so. That's that, to me, that is important. Um, but at the end of the day, you're right. If Jadis is not getting her point across, then talking like that is more of a harm than it is a benefit. Right. And I think that, uh, I'm... Not the only one who doesn't understand what Jadis is getting at, but none of the characters in the story seem to have a problem with it. They all understand her perfectly. Like she, they don't even acknowledge that she's talking funny. They kind of do. I think Rick sort of acknowledges it in, in the way he interacts with her. I feel like anyways, he, he, or, or at least some of the characters do, you know, like the one standing in the background, Rosita and Tara, who've always been there. I, I get the feeling not everyone totally gets what what's going on with Jadis. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Tara, I'll buy into because she said I have a, a uh, no, I have an inventory, and then Jadis said no, and Tara went. She's like what inventory? Inventory? Yeah. <laughs> She's like so, what are you what now? <laughs> yeah. So I th- I think there it's in there. It's subtle, but I think it's in there that some of the characters don't really follow what's going on. Um, I think we can all. Take some comfort, though, in that the scavengers are most likely just there to be a bunch of red shirts to get killed in this battle when and if it happens. Maybe uh, not. Maybe not. I sure Jadis. hope not, because I want to find out what the hell that helipad is for. Yeah, I know they you. They have do. a helipad. What's it for? Maybe not Jadis. Jadis might survive and join the hilltop or something like that and become their head sanitation officer or something. Who knows? But I think a lot of the rest of them are going to be killed off just like a lot of the saviors are going to be killed off and a lot of the background uh, kingdom people are going to be are going to die in this battle so all right the rest of them don't talk funny or speak unusually but they you know (laughs) the scavengers happen to one of my uh, wife's favorite things to say is uh, that she did an english degree (laughs) <laughs> she's got her, she's got her, uh, her honors degree in English and she loves to tell people to, or to say that she did an English degree. Okay. Well, <laughs> why not? <laughs> Hilarious. Uh, 
I don't remember who's next. You is, Jen from Iowa. Okay, Jen from Iowa (laughs) writes, I is next. (laughs) Here's why I think Dwight set up Dr. Carson. All right, so this is something we didn't quite understand. All right, settle in, folks. Grab your favorite drink. Let's find out. Jen writes, Dwight told Negan that he found Sherry and killed her, so Negan wouldn't go looking for her. But even with Sherry being dead... He knew that Negan was still going to keep looking for the person that helped Daryl escape. I think Negan said earlier in the episode that Sherry couldn't have helped Daryl on her own. She would have needed help. Negan probably wasn't going to let the issue go, so Dwight had to find somebody who could take the blame and essentially corroborate Dwight's story. By creating suspicion around Dr. Carson that he had feelings for Sherry and did this to help her, and finding the piece of the note from Sherry in Dr. Carson's office, Negan might be satisfied that Dr. Carson was the guy. Then he won't need to keep looking for the traitor and won't find out that Dwight lied about killing Sherry. I'm not sure why he singled out Dr. Carson specifically, other than having access to Dr. Carson's office and knowing that as a doctor, he had reason to get alone time with Sherry. Either way, Dwight is safe from suspicion, and Sherry is safe as long as she gets far enough away from getting discovered by Negan or the Saviors. So did you get all that? I think I got all that. So he... um... All right, so he's there's two problems that uh, that he's trying to solve. One is he wants Sherry to get away and nobody to go looking for her. So... That's solved by saying she's dead. Yeah. The second problem is uh, Negan's not going to let go on who let out Daryl. And he wants to lay a false trail so that it uh, it doesn't what, lead back to Sherry, who they think is dead? Uh, lead back to Sherry or potentially lead back to, to uh, Dwight himself. Although I feel like they already dealt with that because he locked him up, right? Yeah. And made Dwight sort of reaffirm his allegiance to him. But basically he's, what Jen is saying is that Dwight is just shifting the blame regardless of where, well, not even shifting the blame, but he is directing Negan's blame at somebody just so Negan will feel satisfied with the way things worked out. Oh, so he's got an altruistic, uh, you know, motivation for it. His, you know, he's trying to benefit Negan. He's like, okay, Negan needs to feel satisfied and he's going to be a complete asshole until he is satisfied. So I've got to give him somebody to shut that shit down. Well, it's, (laughs) yeah, it's, it's beneficial to everybody if Negan feels the matter is resolved, right? And by implicating Dr. Carson, basically sort of framing him and unfortunately getting him killed, then the sort of, you know, the heat is off, right? Other than on Carson, because he was thrown into a furnace, but you know, and I think, I think that sort of explains everything a little bit here. Sherry gets away. In theory, she's safe. Negan won't go looking for her and Negan's no longer really on the war path for somebody to, to, uh, punish somebody for letting Dwight go, sorry, letting Daryl go because he killed the doctor because he helped Sherry escape who we think helped, uh, Daryl escaped. escaped. Right. All right. <laughs> gotcha. So it, it, it works for me and, uh, I'm going to 
leave it at that. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So let's hope Negan is satisfied so he doesn't uh, cause uh, any more grief. More mayhem or grief. Exactly. All right. Next, we have an email from Gregory in Wales, UK. Oh, no. And I got to pronounce this. Uh, Pontarudulius? I think it's just Pontardulius. I, I looked the place up. It is, it is a plant. Uh, I don't know if it's a town or a county or whatever in Wales, but uh, I looked it up. It's a real place. It's a difficult to pronounce word. <laughs> As evident by my difficulty pronouncing it. Yeah. Okay. So Gregory writes, Hey, Jason and Chris, Eugene, maybe Team Negan or maybe Team Rick. My guess on what's going to happen next is... Sasha and Rosita are going to try and kill Negan and get caught. And Eugene is going to have to prove himself by killing them. I totally should be writing these. <laughs> um, I could see it. Although I feel like Negan, for some reason, is already satisfied that that Eugene has proven himself. Yep. Because, I mean, he Eugene, in no uncertain terms, said, I am Negan. I've been Negan since day one. I just wasn't, I just didn't get to know you yet. So that's why I didn't tell you, you know? But. I feel like I've been waiting my whole life to meet you. I've, uh, that's right. <laughs> I, you had me at Negan. <laughs> I was born loving you. I just didn't have an opportunity to meet you until now. That's right. That's, that's a good line, by the way. So you, you listeners, you can, you can use that. Uh, okay. Dating advice or pickup lines from Jason? No, no, it's, it's, it's a, yeah, not really pickup, but just, you know, love notes. Okay, good. I love notes. All right. Next time I do one, I'll include that and I'll sign it, Jason. You should. And All I'm right. actually going to take a, a line from, oh, damn it. What's his name? He's in Parks and Rec. He's a, uh, he's got a big beard, funny guy. He's married to the uh, lady who was in, uh, uh, Will and Grace. Is Galifianakis in Parks and Rec? What? Zach Galifianakis, he has a big beard. Is he on that show? No, no, not uh, not him. He's a, a big woodworking woodworking guy, stand up comedian. I don't know, uh, man. I've never anyway, seen the show. I was watching a stand up comedy uh, show by him, uh, and he was saying that if you are going to write, uh, if you're going to buy a card for somebody's birthday, here's something simple: take a piece of paper, fold it in half, write on it "Happy Birthday, I love you." Walk outside, pick up anything from off the ground. Put it in that note and give it to her. She'll love it. Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman. That's that's it, exactly. Um, I love Nick Offerman. Everything I've seen him in I thought was amazing, although I've never seen Parks and Recreation. His role in Fargo season two. Oh my God. Was one of the, my favorite things I've ever seen on TV. Anyways, back to your point. Um, that's That's a good idea. So write love notes. You don't have to buy a card. Just fold a piece of paper in half and write a personalized note. And then pick up something off the ground. A leaf, a flower, some grass, you know. Stick, stick, rock. whatever. Put it in there, give it to her. It's going to work and it's free. Maybe avoid dog poop, but yeah. you never know. You never know. It depends on the girl. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's good advice. That is excellent advice. And I might try that next time. Right. So next up is Dan... In Columbus, Ohio. So here's what Dan did. He sent in a um, uh, he sent in a chart he made of ratings from The Walking Dead, along with other AMC TV shows and how they compare. And I thought it was just interesting, one, because we haven't talked about The Walking Dead ratings in a while. 
And so I'll just run down those really quickly. In the second half of season seven, episode nine had 12 million viewers, which is up a little bit from sort of the the 10 to 11 range that the show had settled into for the first half of the season. But from there, it starts to drop a little bit again. Season seven, episode 10 had 11.08. Episode 11 had 10.43. Episode 12 had 10.16, which I believe was the lowest it's had in a long time. And um, episode 13 had 10.68, so up a tiny bit again. Uh, but it seems to have kind of settled into that 10 to 11 million viewers per episode range. And so that's that's one thing. But then uh, the chart Dan sent in, I'll just look at a few other shows here. Um, that show Turn, Washington's Spies, which is on season yep. three. I don't know if it's still... Uh, still going after season three, but the average of um, uh, the ratings based on the premiere and the finale of that show is only 0.565 million. Um, And let's look at Halt and Catch Fire. The average is 0.338. Better Call Saul season two fares a little bit better at 2.158 million average. But that's an awesome show. It is. Two point, so good. 2.158. Um, Humans Season 1, average of 1.18. Fear the Walking Dead Season 2. I'll tell you the premiere episode, according to Dan, had 6.67 million. The finale had 3.05 for an average of 4.18 million. And, you know, going down the list here, Preacher had 1.6 average. Mad Men Season 7 for good measure, part two had an average of only 2.12 million. And the last season of Breaking Bad had an average of 4.32. So all that is to say that the highest rated show, it seems like on AMC in the last few years, other than The Walking Dead was Fear the Walking Dead. And other than that, it appears to be the back half of the last season of Breaking Bad. And everything else just falls off but beyond that into like relative obscurity even though you could easily argue that you know 2.158 million for better call better call Saul is still pretty solid number walking dead has an average of over 10 million <laughs> right so the lesson we can learn from this is uh give scott gimple a raise and get out of his way well is it Scott Gimple or is it just the material somehow? People love zombie TV shows. Well, they do. It, you know, and it's a good show. And I think that uh, those numbers and those consistent numbers over the last, uh, you know, six episodes and probably, uh, you know, the whole run that Scott Gimple has been responsible for, the numbers have been fairly consistent. The show itself has not been consistent, but the numbers have been consistent. So uh, I think he deserves a raise. Give him, give him a little bump there. Well, here's what Dan had to say. I, I, yeah, you know, why not give the guy a raise? But Dan says, uh, of these numbers, he says, this surprised me quite a bit. Even if AMC is upset by the ratings decrease, The Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead are clearly the two most watched shows on the network. This makes me think Fear has a longer lifespan than I would have guessed. I wonder if The Walking Dead and Fear have reached their floor for how many... Uh, for how low viewership could be. AMC's expectations need adjust, uh, 
expectations need to be adjusted, but it seems like both The Walking Dead and Fear might be able to continue until the show decides the story is over. Oh, never underestimate the floor. I mean, the whole thing could tank, right? I suppose the whole thing could tank, but it doesn't feel like it will. Like, you know, it's been high for a long time. It slipped a little. If it's going to hold around 10 million, I guess it could over time continue to just drop and drop and drop. But I don't know. I I, I feel like I agree with Dan that uh, these shows seem to have seem to be impenetrable in a way and just unkillable, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but an AMC must know that even though they are possibly disappointed by the slight drop that the show has had. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the reason that they're slightly disappointed by the uh, by the drop or, you know, disappointed by the slight drop is that uh, the drop in ratings, uh, you know, really directly to dollars, right? Their, their ratings, uh, you know, directly feed into how much they can charge for commercials. And if they have a ratings drop, that means that they can't charge as much and they're losing uh, money that they could have had if the ratings were higher. Yep. Yeah, that's ultimately for the network. You got to think what it comes down to. I mean, I guess it's a good thing, though, to say that if being the highest rated shows basically on TV, uh, virtually anyways... Um, means that they'll keep them going until somebody says it's time to end this and here's how we're going to end this story and it won't just be canceled one day and they have to either rush to finish it off or leave us hanging with something. Yeah, don't don't cancel it. You know, come to a conclusion and say we want to do three more seasons and we know what we're going to do for these three seasons and it's going to be awesome. Yes, and part of me wishes they would do that right now. Let's, really? let's say let's go to season 10 or 11 or 12 or whatever it is, but give us an endpoint. Friggin' 12 seasons. That's a, that's a hell of a run. That is incredible. And if it goes that long, we'll have been doing this for basically 13 years. Yeah. Almost longer than I've done anything else in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. <laughs> Almost. That'll be longer than I've worked at the same job in my whole life. 13 yeah. years? Well, not for me. I've had the whole, I've had the same job this whole time. Uh, yeah, not me. <laughs> so you <laughs> just, you, go. you got to quit and get a new job. And then the yeah. podcast will be the longest thing you've ever done. There you go. I mean, I've been married for longer, so hopefully that keeps going. For now. Yeah. All right. We have one more email and I know it's yours, but I want to make sure that everyone knows that there are minor comic spoilers in here. A little bit of show speculation. The spoiler is related to mentioning the name of... Something that is in the comics, but has not appeared in the show yet. And uh, when you read this, if I guess if, uh, if you are sensitive to that sort of thing, Jason's going to read this, uh, you might want to skip this last message here, because I think it's something that will appear on the show someday, but hasn't yet. All right, this is uh, Brian from Manchester, England. I have noticed lately that some of the makeup for the zombies has looked, well, pretty cheap. Almost like they were using masks instead of proper makeup effects. Have you noticed this? Well, and it might be spoilery. It made me think that perhaps they are being clever and showing us some of the whisperers mixed in with the natural zombs. Zombs. Uh, I know, Jason, you don't really know what that means. Uh, anyone who reads the comics knows exactly what it means. It's something I'm kind of looking forward to on the show, to be honest, because I think it'll be cool. And it's something I thought was pretty awesome in the comics. And 
I think we'll just leave it at that, probably, unless you've got anything to add from your uh, non-comic reading perspective. So, well, I can speculate what, on what I think this means, but I don't know if that gets us more into spoilers or less, because I don't know really what it, it means. I, I have a feeling whatever you say is going to probably take us more into spoilers, because you have this knack for <laughs> for spo- unintentionally spoiling things, you know? Uh like when the kingdom was being introduced and you actually called it the kingdom, not knowing that's what it was called. I thought that <laughs> I was have inc- no memory of that. I thought that was incredible. That actually happened. Or you referred to these new groups as kingdoms, I think. Right. And I'm like, dude, they're introducing a place called the kingdom, but you didn't know that. And I thought that no, was hilarious at the time. So I don't know. I don't know what we can do here, but uh, this I just thought I'd include for those who know what happens in the comics and are speculating on what might come up in the show. Well, I have I have a speculation uh, based on what I think this probably or might mean. Okay. So it is in the realm of pure speculation. Uh, so I'm just going to gloss over the fact of uh, what I think this means and just go right to the speculation. All right. And if it happens to be true, it's not your fault. Right. Exactly. Okay. So this is where I think uh, Nick from Fear the Walking Dead is going to show up in our Walking Dead series. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, maybe he will. <laughs> so does that that does that uh, does that take you right through? Like now, that you, if you know what this the Whisperers are, uh, does that make sense to you? Well, kind of, but I'm not going to talk about this anymore. Okay, done. <laughs> that's just that's just my speculation it's not even a prediction it's just kind of a hey wouldn't that be neat yeah wouldn't that be neat i do think it would be cool if nick showed up on the show uh i don't know how the timelines would work but it would have to be some sort of future past back thing that yeah i don't know well this is the this is nick's future right like we're years into the zombie apocalypse whereas fear of the walking dead is weeks into the zombie apocalypse correct so he could be anywhere at At, this point at this point he could be dead he could be the the king of siam he could be anything or he could show up in Alexandria one day. Exactly. He could show up and say, I'm the king of Siam. Uh, and in fact, Siam is now uh, an aircraft carrier off the uh, off the coast. And I rule that aircraft carrier because it's a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier and there's no real fuel limit. Anybody want to join? <laughs> That's what he's there <laughs> Anybody for. Anybody want to come hang on to my aircraft carrier? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on. Hopefully that wasn't too offensive for anybody or then no one feels too badly spoiled. That's it. Thank you so much for all the feedback, everybody. We will be back recording again on Monday, and that will be our recap of episode uh, 14, and it's called The Other Side. So if you'd like to get a title read in, record yourself saying that phrase somehow, send it in, and I will play as many as I can when we're ready to do that recap. That'll be Monday night for episode 14 called The Other Side. Otherwise. If you want to send in more comments or, you know, thoughts, you can do so by sending email to TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at TalkingDead or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheTalkingDead. Visit TalkingDeadPodcast.com and click the send voicemail button to send us a message um, and find all our episodes at the website as well, all the way back to number one. (laughs) thanks to gato negro for sponsoring this podcast and uh check us out on itunes and leave a review there and like i mentioned earlier on visit our patreon page at patreon.com slash the talking dead all right that is enough 
of that. We'll be back on Monday. Until then, everyone, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye. Oh, do you know what happened to me? I don't. Brief side note. So I'm flying back from Walker Stalker Con in London last week. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I get to Heathrow and and I'm I have some time. So I'm looking in the shops and I I go into this one store and um, I find a, a couple of things that uh, I think Christina would really like. So I buy them and I'm going to bring them home and it'll be a really nice gift. I was I, honestly, I was really, really happy with these gifts. I felt really good about them. Uh-huh. You know what I did? No. Lost them before I got on the airplane. <laughs> I'm, you dropped them on the ground. You threw them away accidentally. I, you wrapped them up in a hamburger wrapper. I don't know, to be honest, man. I think what happened is... No. I think what happened is, at one point, I was carrying a bunch of stuff. I had my duty-free bag. I had my carry-on bag. I had this bag. I bought a couple of drinks, you know, things like that. And at oh, one point, alcohol was involved. No, 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 no. I, I mean, I bought like a, a Coke to take on the plane with oh, me. Oh, I like, see. Okay. Just a, you know, a bottled water and a, I and a juice. I was drunk. I fell no. over. I threw up. I didn't <laughs> know what happened to all my stuff. At, at one point, I sat down to kind of reorganize my stuff and I put some, I stuffed some things in my backpack. And I think what I did is I, I reorganized my stuff, but somehow left that bag on the seat beside me and got up and walked away. So somebody else got this gift. And I got on the plane, had no idea. I sat down on the plane, we're in the air, and I suddenly had this feeling that I had forgot something. Suddenly had this feeling, but I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm sure it's fine. I'm not going to get up and look now. And if it's not there, what can I do anyways? I'm on the friggin' plane halfway over the ocean. And so we land in Toronto. I get up, I open the overhead bin. All that's in there is my backpack and my duty-free and no gift bag. And I thought, what the crap? So I searched through everything, nothing, it's gone. I somehow lost it in the airport and I felt like such a jeer. Uh, well, I felt like a dick, but I also was really disappointed because I was really happy with that gift. Okay, so let me get this straight. You get home, you walk in the door and you say, hi family, I missed you so much. I got you this gift, but I lost it, but I still have the alcohol that I bought. Pretty much. And I, I still had stuff for the kids. I just didn't have anything for the wife. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that's a lovely story, Chris. Uh, the cynic in me is calling bullshit, but I I know you and I think it's probably true. It's 100% it's just off, true. Obviously off, it's awfully convenient that you lost the one gift for your wife that you thought was perfect, but you still managed to hang on to the alcohol. Well, it's harder to lose two <laughs> bottles of booze, I think, uh, you know. And frankly, dude, I would have been less unhappy if I'd lost the stuff I bought for the kids because, <laughs> you know, it, it, there wasn't nearly the meaning in it, I didn't think. So anyways, I felt like a loser and Good I was work. a huge loser and that's it. I can can basic- you go on Amazon and order another one? Yeah, probably. Do I can, that. I might even be able to order it from the directly from the company. I don't know. Oh, do it on Amazon because they do gift wrapping and you can get a gift wrapped and- and then you can go pick up something off the ground and put it on top of the box and say, I got you with something with a leaf on it. Yeah, isn't that nice? I Heathrow has an online lost and found directory that I've been searching every day, but hasn't been turned in, sadly. Oh, wow. Anyhow, let's move on. That's just my 
tale of woe for the week. 